Sentire Media. Hello, you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 155. Venice has trouble with the neighbours. 1400 to 1416. Once again, we make our way round to the most serene republic, Venice, and wonder what they had to be so serene about since they were always getting into a fight with someone. We will see that the 15th century for them would be no different, as they grew to even greater splendour at the same time as they faced perhaps their most deadly threat, with the situation in the Mediterranean changing what had more or less been the dominance of the Italian maritime republics, particularly Venice and Genoa, for centuries. From an organisational point of view, the government of the Republic had reached a complicated balance of checks and, indeed, balances that favoured the merchant oligarchy of the most prominent families, but never really allowing one to dominate for a long time, and any attempt at doing so was immediately suppressed. The church was kept in its place in the Republic, and it was not allowed to interfere in government and had to deal exclusively with spiritual things. The bishops were elected by the Senate, and Rome had to simply ratify and deal with it. Having mentioned the Senate, that was only part of the complicated pyramid of power. The main source of legitimacy came from the Maggior Consiglio, the Greater Council, but that was a mammoth of a body with 1,500 members at the start of the 1400s, which would reach up to 2,000. It mainly convened for elections. More practical day-to-day stuff was managed by the Consiglio dei Pregadi, more commonly known as the aforementioned Senate, with a more manageable 120 members. Theoretically, at the same level of the Senate was the Council of the Ten, which was a really rubbish name for it because most of the time there were 17 of them, since the Doge and the members of the Signoria were always present at the meetings. Even this illustrious council, which included the Doge, the head of the Republic, had power checks, being elected by the Maggior Consiglio every six months with the head of the council staying in charge for only a month in which they had to live in total social isolation to avoid the temptation of corruption. Below them was the collegio, comparable to a modern-day cabinet with ministers for war on land and sea and so on. Then there were other sub-councils and bits and bobs, but we don't want to go into that too much. Of all these chaps, the Dodger was the only one elected for life, usually at the end of an illustrious career of service to the state and good business, so not a lot of time left in general. By the 15th century, his power was more representative than really effective, but but a charismatic and influential dodger 
could definitely leave a mark. The Dodger for the time span we're covering here was Michele Steno. We mentioned him mainly because his wife had an amusing name, Marina Gallina, Marina Chicken. The city of Venice itself was an international marvel. Aside from the characteristic layout we can still admire today with the canals and the calli, the small alley-like streets, it was one of the first cities in Europe to be cobbled in many areas and even to have public illumination. Of course, this was still over six centuries ago, so you could admire the cobbled streets and illumination, but you could also happen to encounter a marauding band of grazing pigs from the monastery of Sant'Antonio Abate, who had the run of the city and would until 1409, when they were confined to their monastery lands. Now, all the splendid splendor of the 15th century was not quite splendoring when the century started. Indeed, in 1400 to 1402, Venice, like most of Italy, was worried about the aggressive expansion of the Duchy of Milan under the first duke, Gian Galeazzo Visconti. However, the chap died in 1402, and we know that nothing makes it difficult for you to continue aggressively expanding the Duchy of Milan like your own death. Milan was not the only threat around then. At the time, the powerful da Carrara family were still signori, the lords of Padua, and had expanded from there all the way to the shores of Lake Garda, to the west. And if they turned round to the east, well, there was the Republic of Venice. We've mentioned the da Carrara in passing a few times. Da Carrara means from Carrara, which is a town in current-day Tuscany. If you're at all interested in sculpture and architecture, this is where the Carrara marble comes from. It is also a seaside place, but you have to have a pretty healthy bank account balance to go there for your holidays. But you have to have a pretty healthy bank account balance to go there for your holidays. Otherwise, you might want to head for the slightly more affordable Adriatic coast on the other side. Anyway, the Da Carrara may have come from there and moved east following the powerful Obertengi overlords, or not at all, and come down following one of the Holy Roman Emperors. Indeed, the Da Carrara owed their success to being chummy with the Holy Roman Emperors, particularly Henry IV, the arch-enemy of the Countess Matilda, Frederick Barbarossa, and Henry VI. The Da Carrara had come to power in Padua in 1318 with a procedure similar to that of many other signorie, or hereditary fiefdoms in Italy. They started out as rural landowning nobility, were forced to urbanize due to the rising power of the commune, and then at a certain point managed to take control. In the case of the Da Carrara, the communal authorities actually gave them power by acclamation during a period of crisis in the wars against the Della Scala of Verona that had started in 1312. The first signore was Giacomo I da Carrara, who managed to get Padua out of a tricky spot with diplomatic ability, calling in the Habsburg Dupes of Austria to help against Verona. Padua was one of the last communes to move to a hereditary signoria, and it is interesting that this happened peacefully by acclamation. 
kind of like with the Galactic Republic when power was handed over to Senator Palpatine. Over the next 87 years, with some moments under the De La Scala and some under the Visconti, the Da Carrara managed to build up quite a considerable regional power, covering a series of cities in the Veneto area. Then came the clash with Venice. In 1405, Padua was under siege by Venice when an epidemic of plague broke out in the city, forcing them to surrender. The last da Carrara ruler, Francesco Novello, and his two sons were captured by the Venetians and later strangled in prison, just to make sure. Another dangerous neighbour for Venice ticked off the list, for now. Having mentioned the Della Scala and da Carrara allows us to introduce another neighbour who was far more dangerous for Venice. Indeed, the lands of the two families were nominally under the territory of the Holy Roman Empire, and the emperor at the time, although he was still lacking a crown, was Sigismund of Luxembourg. He was a big deal in this period, especially since he had been around for ages in this period and would be for another almost 40 years. He had been king of Hungary and Croatia since 1387, king of Germany starting in 1410 and later king of Bohemia. Hungary and Venice had been squabbling over land and particularly Dalmatia along the coast of modern-day Croatia for centuries now, due to its strategic importance with Adriatic seaports and as a source of wood for ships. At the start of the 15th century, it was controlled by Hungary, and Venice was paying a hefty tribute to them. But the Republic was not going to let it rest. They suddenly stopped paying tribute and started to support Ladislao of Naples, who had a claim to the Hungarian throne, and in 1402 started a campaign in Dalmatia, occupying some cities that he would later sell to Venice. War broke out, with King Sigismund also attempting to hit Venice where it really hurt, their purses, with a trade war in which they tried to box in Venice from two sides and blocked off mountain passages, also promoting brigand activity against Venetian merchants. The war of 1411-1413 didn't go so well. Venice lost and were forced to hand over Aquileia and Udine, for a while at least, before eventually getting them back. This clash with Hungary allows us to mention an interesting character fighting on the Hungarian side, an important Hungarian nobleman, a count known in Italy as Pippo Spano. The interesting thing is that he was not Hungarian at all. He was a Florentine, Filippo Buondelmonti degli Scolari, you super-attentive listeners may be getting a little buzzing in your brain hearing the name Buon del Monte. It was one of the very early examples we mentioned with regard to factional fighting in Florence back in episode 77, when we were at the start of the 13th century and saw the story of Buon del Monte, Buon del Monte and the wedding insult. Anyway... Pippo Spano had migrated to Hungary in the service of a Florentine merchant and made quite a name and position for himself, thanks also to a strategic marriage which had made him a count. 
As well as a merchant, he was also a successful condottiero, a military leader. He was known for his particular cruelty. For example, he would take and release prisoners, but not before cutting off their right hand so they could no longer take up arms. That is the guy that Venice lost to between 1411 and 1413. Actual hostilities would not break out again, but Sigismund would continue to attempt a trade war on and off until the 1430s. By that time, the two contenders, Hungary and Venice, had realized that they both had a lot bigger problem to deal with, the Ottoman Turks. You can't really say that Venice had been best buddies with the Turks, but the practical, business-minded Venetians had managed to get along with them. The year 1416 would change that relationship and set the scene for Venice's resistance to the Ottoman expansion for all of the 15th century. Sometimes with support, but a lot of the time on her own. Grazie mille, thank you very much for listening and thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters starting with the first half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. And they are Alison, Amanda, Anthony, Brian, Selene, Cindy, David, Dean, Dominique, Emily, Eric, Federica, Francisco, Gabriel, George, Greg, Gunnar, Ignacio, Il Valentino, Jacob, Jeff, Jeff S, Jeffrey W, John W, Jordan and Juan Diego and of course the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level Paolo Lisa K Andrew Peter David Rinat David C Oak J Sen David A Karen and Peter If you'd like to get in touch please do so hello at a history of Italy Dot com or go to our social media on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Once again, thank you very much for listening and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.